Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the host of the MLB Network, Greg Amsinger. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by the original and current host of MLB Network, launched in 2009. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Amsiger. Greg, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, Booney, I appreciate the invite, man. Hanging out with you at the Combine was a lot of fun, so I've been looking forward to doing this for a while. I appreciate it. Uh, All right. When I was in the minor leagues, and me and my teammates – all we would do, we play our game wherever we were in some podunk city somewhere in this country. And soon as that game ended, first thing we all did, we ran home. We got to find out what the big boys are doing on TV. Back then, there wasn't as many outlets. Now, those young kids, they're turning mainly to Greg Amsinger. You're going to give him the news. Tell me this. Would, what is the feedback you get from players when you see them in person because you get you get to move around a lot. You get to go to the stadium. You're in you're in contact with these players all the time. What's the main feedback you get from the current players today? Oh, well, there's good and, and there's bad. I, I'll start off with the bad. OK, so there's a show I do in the offseason called the top 100 players right now, where our research staff, which is basically like an analytical department of any front office, a bunch of really smart people put together the top 100 players based on the last three seasons. OK, I host this series of shows and my job is to stir the pot and really make the list the star. So when I'm arguing that Gary Sanchez should be way closer uh, to number one five years ago than Buster Posey, and we bring on Mad Dog Chris Russo to argue with me about it, it sounds like I'm anti-Buster Posey. But that's not it. I'm just saying at the time, Gary Sanchez is a 30-homer catcher. Buster Posey's power is going down. Fast forward, five days later, I'm on a plane going to Scottsdale, Arizona for our spring training coverage. And guess who I have to interview? Buster Posey. So all these guys watch this stuff and then I have to go face to face and and face them, which I'm fine doing that. I I really am. Uh, On the other side of the spectrum, we had an incredible argument on TV about mm, April 23rd, 24th this year. Harold Reynolds is like, the guy said 141, you got to send Julio Rodriguez to the minor leagues. The Mariners, I can't win with this kid in center field. They got to send him to the minor leagues. And I go, why is that always the answer? Why is demoting a kid that you think is going to be a future Hall of Famer? You're kind of banking on him being the next Ken Griffey Jr. Why is publicly embarrassing him and giving him a traumatic experience of failure, which he's never had before in his life? He's such a great young baseball player. Why is that, that mental anguish, the answer? Why not walk up, put your arm around Julio Rodriguez and say, guess what, man? We're... You can hit 160 all year long if you want. You're not going anywhere. We need you to be a superstar. You're not leaving the big leagues. So relax. Harold was like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, no, that's what I would say. If I'm Jerry DePoto, that's what I say. So then all of a sudden, May 1st, he hits his first home run, and boom, now he's a superstar. So anyway, I'm on the red carpet all-star game a couple days ago. Julio Rodriguez is on the set. After I'm done with the interview, he gives me a hug in the commercial break. And he goes, I saw what you did the other in, in April when I was struggling. I watched that show. That meant the world to me. 
You have no idea what that meant to me. And I was like, wow, thank you so much. He's like, no, seriously, it had a lot to do with my, my mentality changed. Thank you so much for saying that on TV. And that reminded me that the microphone is a powerful thing, Booney. It's, it, it, is, it is powerful. And the players are watching. It's on in every clubhouse. So I take that into account. I'm not trying to make friends with baseball players. I'm being as authentic as possible. And how I feel about the game is what I express to all the people that are watching. Yeah, that's very cool. And is it, even to this point, you've been, you've been at this a long time. Even to this point, are you still kind of amazed how much we really watch? Because to me, it, it's funny. You know, players, we like to be the cool guys. Like, nothing bothers us. We don't care when we get booed. Believe me, we care when we get booed. We may say <laughs> one thing on camera, but even for you, do, do, are you really amazed how much the, the players really do pay attention? Because we see a lot more than people think we see. You know, oh, he's not going to see this. This is just a little interview over here when really, hey, these guys are in tune with more than when than the public really thinks. It's funny. So the first time I ever got a chance to work with Mark DeRosa, who's the star of MLB Central, he's an amazing analyst, a longtime big leaguer. He walks in my office, closes the door, and he goes, hey, man, I got to talk to you. And I go, hey, my name's Greg. Nice to meet you. He goes, I, I don't know how you pulled this off, but every big leaguer cares what you say about them. And I'm like, yeah, it's- <laughs> he goes, He goes, Greg, he goes, J- Jason Worth hates you. <laughs> he hates you. <laughs> I'm like, hey man, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm just letting you know you're on in every clubhouse. And when you start talking, there are guys that turn it up because they know you're about to spout off on something. He's like, you got the ear of big leaguers, bro. I'm just letting you know you do. And I, 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 I remind myself of that every time I'm on the air because this is a network that is all about the players. And we celebrate the players. And I'm gen- genuinely, I am 85% positive. I, am, I grew up wanting to be a player, but I was a terrible player. I'm not someone that looks at players as the most irrelevant voice in the room. I'm not that. There, there are other shows on our network that, that are that way. But I, I idolize baseball players. I'm amazed by all of your talents. I, I, I want to hear your real-life experiences over what some front office guru thinks is the answer. Um, one of my favorite instinctual baseball analysis moment that put me in awe of all of you guys was the first show I ever did with Pedro Martinez. First time I worked with Pedro Martinez, he is doing a live look in of a Mike Trout at bat with me. Mike Trout hits a home run. Pedro Martinez goes, I can't believe they're throwing the pitch to his waggle. And I'm like, what is a waggle? And he's like, every pre-swing routine of every hitter where the barrel stops, that's where they want you to throw the pitch. So I never did. And I'm like, come on, stop. So we had our research staff look at some of the best hitters of all time, from McGuire to Trout to Albert Pools to Ken Griffey Jr. to Tony Gwynn. And wherever the barrel stopped, if you look at the quadrant of a strike zone, that was their hottest part of the zone. That's where they did their most damage. It was the most remarkable, instinctual observation I'd ever heard of in sports. So simple. It was brilliant. No one's teaching kids today in today's spin rate and velo to avoid the barrel of the waggle. Come on, man. That to me is why no matter what, wherever this game goes in terms of intel and information, I still want to hear from the guys that played it more than anyone else. 
And Greg, it's fascinating because from the hitter standpoint, I love uh, to this day, you know, I have buddies that are text. I got Albert Bell that's texting me about hitting and how to hit and what to do and what to look for. And I love that because that's kind of the game inside the game for us. And especially the second half of my career, uh, that's how I hit. And it, it wasn't about, oh, I'm going to look for a fastball and adjust. No, I have a plan every time. Who's pitching? Who's in the bullpen? Who's hitting in front of me? Who's hitting behind me? What have I done this series? What have I hurt them on? What have they beat me on? And that all formulates when I leave that batter's box, I have a plan. And I stick to that plan <laughs> come hell or high water. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I found that was a consistent formula over 162 games that did it. That's a that's a really interesting point uh, that you just made about Pedro, because as hitters, we don't really talk to pitchers. We think they're dumb. <laughs> so, so we have to feed on that. But. But it brings up a point. Pedro was one of those guys, one of the elite few. You know, a few guys come to mind that thought, I think Maddox did. Matter of fact, I think that whole Brave staff did. Smoltzy and and, uh, Glavin. And you had to play the game. Couple that with a great catcher, uh, a Veritech, who's really thinking through the at-bat with you. And I always used to say, I said, I would tell other other players, other hitters when we'd face Pedro, I'd say, listen, this guy's different. So if you have your plan, he's watching you. If you take a fastball down the middle with the bases loaded and you are known as an aggressive fastball hitter, he knows you're sitting on something else. So beware of that because he might throw you five fastballs in a row. And that's where that game inside the game starts that to this day is kind of my passion of really think, you know, anybody can look at the, the obvious on the screen and say, well, you know, you're, you're trying to pull the ball. No, you're not trying to pull the ball. You're, you're not seeing the spin. You're out front and it looks like you are. But yeah. that, that type of conversation right there is is something really cool that uh, doesn't get talked about that much, but but really interesting. Well, uh, did you ever did you ever have Pedro uh, watch your BP? You know, he was known for that. Yeah, he he'll, he'll, yes, he'll sneak out. There were there were certain guys that would do that. They would come out and they try to be incognito. They weren't Bobby Valentine with the mustache, but <laughs> they'd be you know, they'd be hanging by the bat rack. And oh, yeah, believe me, we're very aware of that. Who's watching, yeah. who's not. So he would sit there openly and watch. And if he saw you pop up a couple pitches like top of the cage, you were going to see a steady diet of fastballs. Even though the data would say, don't throw Brett Boone a fastball. He mashes fastballs. Pedro would look at you that day and go, he must have been out till 4 a.m. You're right. No, there's the little things. They add up, especially when we do this every day. You know, it's right. not like the NFL where once a week we got to be on point and be at our best rested, ready to go. No, it's you're right. It could have been. We just played 12 in a row. We've been in three different time zones. Right. And, and right. we did. We stayed out a little too late last night. <laughs> so he's thinking, you know what? Your bat speed isn't what it normally is. I don't care what the data says. I can tell your bat speed today isn't going to handle my 98. Yeah. I right. think that's awesome stuff. And I, th- and I think that's why, you know, Pedro was Pedro. And, uh, yeah, I could talk for days about this. Really interesting. Um, let's get to your childhood. You're born and raised in, I believe, Saint, in the St. Louis area. Tell yeah. me about a, a young Greg Amsinger. Tell me about your family. I know you had a bunch of siblings. Uh yeah, break it down. What's a young Greg like? 
Well, you know, I was a uh, a thick, big boned kid, chunky guy. Big and boned, I love it. Yes, yes, and I, I the first sport I, I played at flat feet was bowling because I, I couldn't run, and uh, I grew up in a low middle class family, small tiny brick house in South St. Louis. My dad was a welder. My mom, you know, took care of people and in homes for those that had disabilities, and eventually, in her late forties, became a nurse. But I was like the first one in my family to go to college. And I, you know, got really tall. So I was able to play basketball, play football, had a serious knee injury. So it kind of wrecked my whole high school athletic career. Uh, Baseball, I had a huge uppercut swing, but a big, tall lefty. Uh, I was kind of more of a finesse pitcher, but uh, didn't have a lot of success there. The knee thing really messed it up and it currently ruins my golf game because it's my right knee. So all my weight has to go on this bad right knee that I have. Um, But, you know, it was a a childhood. I was one of seven kids, second oldest of seven kids. So the good part about that is it it gave me that, that grit. And it gave me the, uh, when you're, when you're one of a litter and you don't have a, a ton of attention focused on you, leadership qualities come with that. Right. I felt like it was more of a, a second husband to my mom. I helped coach my little brothers. I was changing diapers of siblings when I was 10, like babysitting, doing all kinds of stuff and taking care of other people. It wasn't just about me. And that quality has helped me immensely in the current role I have now. So when a show starts, I don't worry about my job. I don't worry about what I have to do. I care about the two guys to my left, Harold Reynolds and Dan Plesak, whoever it is. I want whoever's next to me walking away going, A, that was fun, and B, you know what? I think I was the star of that show. That is my goal. I want everyone else to feel great. I want everyone to get out on time. Don't have to redo any segments. I want everyone in the control room to feel like they were part of a great show. I care more about the family than I do myself. Even though the... Not, I don't want to say the character I play on TV doesn't exactly fit that because I'm a pretty boy with sideburns. I like to talk about myself just because I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a punching bag. I want, I want to be the person that people make fun of. You know, it's good for the show. Uh, but clearly, I care about the show more than anything else. And I would have been that way if I didn't come from this litter where I wasn't honed in on in terms of attention. That's interesting because, yeah, you are the guy, uh, the majority of your segments, you're you're the kind of the captain of the ship and you're steering it and you're kicking it. Like you said, Harold and Dan, you're kicking it to Dan. You're kicking it to Harold. They're going back to you. You're you you fill in in the middle. Then you're kicking it again at the end. Yes. You're thinking, man, I I know I'm prepared, but I want these guys to really shine because if they shine. This show is going to be a success. And when we go back to the lunchroom, we're going to go, good job, guys. And it's kind of a known, like we killed it right there. That's, yes. That's cool. Uh, so the show has won seven Emmys in the last 11 years for best sports show nationally. Okay. And we're really proud of that. So every year, our Emmy group, we have a, a team of people that put together the tapes for broadcasters. The woman that runs it meets with me every year to go over my Emmy reel. Okay, and I've never even been a finalist for best studio host because that's like legends like Ernie Johnson's always up for that. Reese Davis. It used to be the Bob Costas Award because he won it every single year. But, you know, I've never been a finalist for it. And she's always upset because she can't find moments where I talk for longer than 30 seconds. She's like, you need to talk longer. And I go, my job isn't to win an Emmy. 
My job is to host a really killer baseball show. And if I'm talking longer than 30 seconds, that show sucks. As much as, as much as I'll do a Greg's list, and I guess that's lengthy and long, but it's not how I want to host a show. I want, I want to host a show like three guys at a bar. And if you're having a good time at a bar, one dude droning on for three minutes is not a good time at a bar. It's three guys watching baseball, having beers, going, yeah, I, they got to send this guy down. Really? Well, who else is better in the minor leagues? Well, they got this kid in the minor leagues. He's in AAA right now. Nah, he's a little too young. He's not ready. The other guy chimes in and he's like, dude, did you see what's happening with the Guardians? Bases loaded right here. No one's talking longer than 30 seconds. That is how I want the show to feel. So I am bouncing it back and forth. Think of me as a point guard. And I'm moving the basketball, man. I'm moving the basketball. The longer I hold the ball, the easier it is to play defense against us. And I do not want that to be the case. Yeah, interesting. That's a formula. And you know it works. Uh, you know, the, the time has gone by now. And you're going, well, it works pretty good for this show because people like it and it works. So, you, yeah, when you're having those meetings about the Emmy, the Emmy's not the, the not the end goal. You know, it's not the end yeah. goal. It's no, we want a great show. And if an Emmy comes along with it, that's great. And, and you, you talk about being behind a list of guys at Bob Costas kind of heady. It's almost like I'm thinking back uh, years ago to it's it's like that gold glove thing. I remember when I was a young player and it's like, <laughs> man, it seems like I'm sitting behind Robbie Alomar here and I kind of have to wait my turn. You know, I felt like I was at the deli with one of those tickets. <laughs> and, but, you, you know, you can't go out there and play. Oh, I'm playing this year for a gold glove. No, it's like I'm going to I'm going to do my thing and uh, take chances and, and and let it fall where it falls. There's nothing I can do. You know, once I do the, do the show, my show was seven to 10 every night. Uh, it's out of my hands. I can only do the best I can. And, and I really, I think that's a really cool uh, take on, on just kind of behind the scenes, you know, people, they like to hear stuff like this. They watch you every day, but they don't know what really is going on. Or what's, what's Greg really thinking? What's he really like? Is that a shtick? Is it real? Is he, you know, and, and uh, I, I, I just think that's neat stuff that, that you don't hear every day. Lindenwood university, you head off to college, um, what are you thinking at this point in your life? What do you want to do? Do you already have, have that vision of, of where, where you're going? So I, I believe it or not, I, I actually did some theater at the end after I got wow. hurt in high school. Yes. And I did a couple plays and that led to me doing some theater in college. And I did a few, a few plays in college, but then I kind of morphed everything together because I missed sports they had a great radio station at Lindenwood University, a school a lot of people haven't heard of. It's growing. Uh, we just became Division One this fall. So we, we're starting Division One all sports, one double A for football, but we're going to be Division One hockey, which is a big deal. So I'm very proud of where the school has gone. Um, but when I showed up on campus, uh, they really didn't have a television department at all. And I knew that TV is where I wanted to go, but radio was great. I was doing a bunch of radio stuff. And I asked for a studio. I needed one classroom that wasn't being used. And my younger brother, who was a year below me, uh, designed the studio. He also went to the same college, played football at Linderwood, and designed the studio. I had another guy, a buddy of mine, who ended up working at ESPN for years. He was kind of my, the techie guy I needed. He knew how to wire all the monitors. He knew how to direct the show. And I was like the executive producer. And it started off with me and eight students. And by the time I left, we had over 80 students working for no class credit on a show, a college sports show that covered the schools, college teams, and all the local minor league teams. 
So this is what we did twice a week. I got it on cable access. I, I, I got the show uh, carried and aired on two different cable access stations, one in St. Louis County, the other one out in St. Charles County. And it became like a machine. And now they've got three HD robotic camera studios. Everything's wired for HD live broadcast. They've got control rooms, remote trucks, every ballpark, every arena. It's all, they've got their own uh, control rooms connected to those athletic facilities. It is, they've got their own station now. Uh, LUTV, and it kind of started with me going to school there. So I, I'm really proud of that. I I, I, I kind of created something there that was special, and I, I still go back um, very close to the president of the university. And you know, it, it, we we all come from somewhere, and I try not to forget where I came from. You know. Also, during that time in Lindenwood, uh, I think at KM KMOX, you were a producer, right? That's correct. Yes, I started that's, producing that's a pre- 19. That's a big time station. I mean, you got Harry Carey, Costas, as you mentioned, the Bucks, Joe and Jack, Deerdorf, uh, I think John Rooney, Mike Shannon, mm-hmm. all yeah. broadcasters yeah. at KMOX. It was awesome, man. I, I, when I was 19 years old, Jack Buck was around all the time and he would give me a hundred dollar bill on my birthday. It was awesome. Uh, I'll never forget being a 19-year-old producer, and I was handpicked by Bob Costas to produce his evening special. This is back when he lived in St. Louis full-time. And what that meant was his in-studio producer, Bruce Kornblatt, would show up with Bob, and they would give me the list, the three people that I would call. Okay, here are Bob's three guests. And this one evening special would make so much money for the station. Uh, And he was only on once a month, but it was such a marquee show. And it would be like, okay, here's his list of guests. Oprah Winfrey, Arsenio Hall, President Jimmy Carter. I'm like, what? I'm calling these three people right now. This is like insane for a 19-year-old kid. But the funny part is, the first time I do it, they backlogged all the commercial breaks. I'm pounding on the glass, Brett. They wouldn't go to break. So they went from one interview to the next interview to the next interview. They got up and left. And I had to air like 21 straight minutes of commercials. And my pro- uh, programming director called and he was living mad at me, so mad. And I just, I, there was nothing I could do. And then the next month, guess who's producing the Bob Costas evening special? Me. So then I had to like pot their mics down and just go to break. And now they're not, they're not happy with me, but I got everyone mad at me. It was a really stressful thing. Fast forward to 2009. I'm in the makeup room. Um, I've already been on MLB Network for probably three weeks. And in walks Bob Costas. This is the first time we're running into each other as on-air colleagues. And he sees me and he goes, hi, Greg, Bob Costas. I go, yeah, I worked with you. I, I had crazy hair, long, 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 long sideburns, like down to my lip. I had a soul patch. I'm like, I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, it looked like you saw a ghost. He's like, Oh yeah. I go, I was your producer um, at Camo X uh, during those evening specials. And he goes, yeah, I think I, I probably produced myself. And he walked away <laughs> 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 and, and, uh, from that point forward. I was like, Oh no, how's this relationship going to work? It has been one of the great relationships of my life. We're very close. We have so much fun on the air together. I, I look at him. Um, you know, he's obviously a mentor and idol of mine, but he, I'll get text messages from him out of, out of nowhere. Uh, reacting to a show I just I just hosted and he's the best and if you want to ask the most nervous I've ever been hosting a TV show it's the Hall of Fame election announcement every year I'm in studio and my analysts are Harold Reynolds Tom Verducci and at the very end 
Bob Costas. It's the one show Bob Costas doesn't host. And he's not just a guest for a segment. You'll see him on other stations where he's a guest for a segment. This is a three and a half hour TV show where Bob Costas, the greatest sports host ever, can hear all the traffic that I'm hearing. He's watching me host for three and a half hours. He's not hosting. I am. So for a guy that has always wanted to be a Bob Costas, always wanted to be a studio host, that's nerve wracking. I, I enjoy working with him every single year. It's a great relationship. Do you think uh, w- when you were young and in college and producing such a big show as Costas, did that help you that that behind the scenes, uh, just the just the experience? Did that help? Does that help you just now? Currently, what you're doing, you're hosting day in, day out. Does that early experience help you know kind of I don't know. Does it make you better at being a host because you know what goes on on the other side? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, I, I saw unnamed hosts, radio hosts, you know, throw, throw a trash can at a cleaning lady down the hallway because she walked in to change the trash while he was on the air. I saw people yell at producers, screaming at them in commercial breaks, being extremely stressed out. And as I watched all of this behind the scenes, I, I told myself, if there's one thing I will do in my career, I will make the hard look easy. I will own every mistake. I don't care if I'm on MLB tonight and I go, Julio Rodriguez, you know, he's hit, he's hit uh, four, 385 since May 1st. And then my researcher who told me that in my ear, eight seconds later goes, I'm so sorry, Greg, it, it's 345, it's 345. And then Harold's like, my 385 sounds high. He's been that high. Like, you know what? I actually... I actually botched that. My bad. I'm just such a, I'm such a J-Rod fan. I gave him 40 points in his batting average. He's actually in 345. I will, la- I will land on the sword for anyone behind the scenes. I will always wear it. Okay? And I never want to look stressed out. I don't care if I, I just did the draft. I'm gonna be, I make jokes during commercial breaks. I want it to be a party while we're on the set. Okay? I don't want anything to feel stressful. It's my social life. That's kind of pathetic because that's my social life. Do you have any friends, Greg? But honestly, I've turned my career into my social life. It's where I go to have fun with my buddies and I don't ever want to look stressed out. I will never yell at anybody behind the scenes. It's just, it's, it's how I chose to develop my career. And that only came from watching so many broadcasters behind the scenes as a producer. And that too, it's like, you know, I, when I watch MLB, uh, MLDB network, it's like, there are a lot, there's a cast of characters, but you are kind of that main guy. You're doing so many shows. You're here, you're there, you're at the draft, you're at the, you know, everybody's not doing what you're doing. So that attitude, I think obviously serves you well. Cause obviously if you've got, well, I'm on three different shows today and I kind of got to run, like you said, you're the point guard. You're going to have a rough show here and there. It's it, it, and the point where I don't know. I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. Like if I've got three shows a day for three weeks straight, once in a while, I'm going to get off the show and go, you know what? I didn't kill it on that one today. But <laughs> but but it's like, you know, if you've got one show a week, I could see like, all right, this is the big show. We got it. We got to kill this. Or, you know, my ass is on the line. It's like. I'm doing you're you're doing so many different segments and 
it, with so many different co-hosts, it's like once in a while, it's it's going to be a little bumpy. So for you, I, I could see the way you just kind of laugh through it. You, you kind of, you know, you got to make shift like the guy in your ear, 385. Well, this guy's been great. The last 20 little little tidbits he gave me were right on point. He made a mistake today. How do I do it? I just roll with that. Ah, I screwed up. You know, it was 345, not 385. But I think you got to have that attitude or you'd have an ulcer by now. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I, I also say this mistakes are good mistakes. I know that sounds crazy. Mistakes make you likable. If you handle the mistakes correctly, I have seen, there are some YouTube videos of on air hosts where a makeup artist walks in and, and the host stiff arms, the makeup artist, cause they were on camera. Like that's bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, right. That's a wait, bad wait. look. We got to laugh at ourselves. Exactly. We have to make fun of the fact that we're doing this, this charade. Cause that's what it is. I'm wearing a suit. I've got TV makeup on and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this choreography. It's choreography. So it's kind of like a, um, um, I don't know, like a reality TV play is what, studio television is and we're trying to make it loosey goosey and off the cuff. And I kind of make that a farce of that while I'm on TV. Like, Ooh, you know, Julio Rodriguez, Harold's been red hot right now. You should go uh, into an edit bay during the commercial break and do a breakdown tape on him. Since he just hit a home run and Harold's like, you know what, Greg, I should do that. Even though three hours ago, he was already working on that tape and we're just making a farce of the idea that all this stuff is pre-planned. Because I like having fun with it. But one thing I will never do, I will never, I will never get so stressed out when I walk into a building that people don't want to work with me. I want to bring the, the, the fresh air. I always say this to my wife. My goal is to be a cool breeze on a warm day. That's all I want to be. I don't want to be more than that. If I'm a cool breeze on a warm day in every little show that I do, in every relationship that I have, in every, it, I, I'm not too committed. I'm not too ingrained. I'm staying in my lane and I, I walk out of that room and people are like, man, I like that guy. That was fun. That's all I want to do. That's it. So I'm not trying to change the world. I'm just trying to have a good time every segment that I'm on. The KMOX. I want to go back to this a little just for a second because the, the alumni from, from that station. And uh, I got I got it when I used to go to St. Louis, man, I love listening to Jack Buck. Uh, I loved my time because I knew I was going to have a, a sit down at least one of the days I was there, whether I was there for a three or four game series. I was going to have a sit down with Mike Shannon and he just made me laugh. And uh, those are my memories of going to St. Louis. Oh, I got to talk to Shannon. He's going to grab me after the game. I'm going to go sit in a room. He's got that, that, that bony. We got to go over here, that voice. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's certain things about, you know, my career in, in different cities I went to. There's always stuff that stands out. St. Louis, it's Mike Shannon. You got a quick Mike Shannon story for me. No, I do. I was a producer for live from Shannon's. Remember his restaurant? In yeah. downtown St. Louis. Yeah. Great spot, steaks, lobster, whatever you wanted. He did a radio show live from Shannon's and I would go in there and I would set up the equipment and I would be the producer with the headset on and he'd have amazing guests. I mean, it was where everybody went after a game. So if it was a homestand live from Shannon's, it would be Sunday night. Right. And I would be in this room and it was like hanging with baseball's version of the Rat Pack. I mean, these guys are smoking cigars. They're having cocktails. 
Mike Shannon, I don't know how he would not slip profanity onto the air because once he'd walk away, all different bad words were flying out of his mouth in a, in a hilarious way. But once he was back on the air, boom, you wouldn't hear any of that again. Uh, we had an A-list group of guests from Bob Gibson to Chip Carey. One day I produced a show. Um, I mean, we had, I mean, legends of the game would walk in there and want to hang out with him. It was so much fun. And, and I just remember Mike Shannon being like, it was like hurting cats. So the way I, people don't know how it is to work with Harold Reynolds, Harold Reynolds has more energy than I have ever, ever had in my life. So to get Harold to sit down in, you know, in commercial break, he's running all over the place. He wants to look at one breakdown tape. He's in Studio 42 because he forgot his glove. He's like, it's hurting cats. He's a butterfly. He lands on your shoulder. By the time you look at him, he flies away. That is exactly what Mike Shannon was producing this show. And I, I just had a great time with him. It, it helped me understand that broadcasting, the best shows are absolute chaos. And if you're having a hard time getting someone just to sit down, that's probably because everybody likes that person and they're a real star. So that's what I learned from Mike Shannon. Everybody wanted a piece of him. And I just witnessed all of it as a producer of that show. Very cool. Uh, first job in Terre Haute, Indiana, your sports anchor. How good were you then? <laughs> you and, know what? And did you have a catchphrase? You got to have a catchphrase, man. You're coming on the scene. No, you know what? I never did the catchphrase thing. I, I just never did. And I, not because I, I thought about it. Uh, it was something I just, I just wanted to, every day, every show had to be organically different. I wanted every show to feel completely different. And that's how I want MLB Tonight to feel now. Um, you know, I think Jimmy Fallon does a great job late night because his show is designed to the talents of his guests. So he does segments that he knows his guests will thrive with, right? So what you end up having is a predictably unpredictable show, which everyone loves. So I looked at the same kind of mentality for, for broadcasts. Yes, it's a sports show. And yes, we have some reoccurring segments. Like, you know, sometimes Dan Plesak acts wacky and does DJ Dan. But if we can make even that segment different and fresh, I want every show to be different. Complacency scares me. I, I never want to feel safe. I, pr I produce every show like it's my last one. And it, someday I'll be right. When they look at Greg Amstinger's last show, I want them to be entertained by it. So, yeah, it all started with Terre Haute. I was a one-man band. I shot my own stuff, produced my own stuff. was really a leader of a sports department at the age of 22. And I, I, no joke, people talk about this in sports all the time, leadership. That stuff matters, man, because at the end of the day, I really, truly believe that 90% of all people want to be led. So that leaves it up to the 10% who can actually do it properly. And that's a, a legit responsibility that if you take it seriously and you do it well, my goodness, are you powerful? You're powerful. And I tell my kids all the time, the greatest leaders, the greatest leaders, I said, fall on the sword earlier, are the ones who are accountable for everything. Take accountability. If you have accountability, you're powerful. If you're the one that says, no, that was my bad. I'm sorry. I'm the first one. To met, and that was my mistake. If you're the first one to raise your hand, that you're the one that screwed it up. My goodness, do people want to follow that person down a dark alley? They'll do whatever you want. I learned that at a young age. I really started with my, with my siblings as being a leader in my family. And I kind of carried that on. And I learned in, in the professional environment of Terre Haute, Indiana, I had a lot of success there. And boom, I was in New York at the age of 24. So it, it was a skyrocket 
uh, of my career, but it all came down to the fundamentals of leadership, in my opinion. Isn't that funny, too, uh, when you hear people talk uh, just in a layman in a layman kind of way, they talk about leadership. You need to be a leader. You need to do this. I laugh a lot of times because people get it wrong all the time. That leader isn't that guy that gets up on that soapbox and yells at everybody. It says this is how you lead. You know, the best guys I was, especially early in my career, they led by example. It wasn't that they had to sit there and yell and show everybody they were the alpha in the room. It was. No, see how that guy takes the field. See how he interacts with other uh, with with fans. See how he interacts with the press. That's how I want to handle myself. And he's a great player on the field. That helps. It helps mm-hmm. to be a great player as well. But it's not about that rah rah shishkoom bob BS. It's what's different about him that makes me want to act like him. And if we all behave like him, man, how good of a team would we be? So that that leadership is is a great point. I I think it gets overplayed. Oh, somebody's got to step up and be the leader. No, leaders don't uh, point yourselves. It's 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 an innate quality that is in certain individuals that kind of uh, resonates. And and it's it's not a spoken. Oh, is he the leader of the team? No, it's a no. Everybody knows it's an it's just a it's eye contact. It's no, that's the guy right there. And we follow him. And if we follow him, we're probably going to do well. But another another point that's not brought up every day. I love talking about that stuff. I had Chris Myers on the show uh, recently, and uh, I asked him a question. I want to ask you the same question. Uh, what is the most obscure event you ever covered? Because I know when you went to CBS College Sports, uh, you you uh, you covered everything. What's the most obscure thing you covered? The greatest sporting event I ever covered, Brett, this is no joke. The greatest individual athletic moment I'd ever witnessed in my life was the national championships of college paintball. I did play-by-play for college paintball. They had a bunch of bunkers set up. It's basically capture the flag. It was Ohio State against Florida. The sniper for the University of Florida was a six foot seven, 275-pound guy, but he had the best aim. I mean, he was the sniper. Now, he he hid behind the largest bunker, which was right in front of their flag. So, he never really left the back row. It's five on five, capture the flag, and they're using uh, inflatable bunkers, okay? This is what the field looked like. I am perched up high with a woman named B. Youngs, a professional paintball player. She's my analyst. Ohio State's about to win the national championship. They've got four players left. The sniper is the only guy left, and they're pelting his bunker with pellets, Okay. Out of nowhere, he just takes off running. We had never seen him run the entire tournament. They were undefeated, and he never left the back bunker. He was such a good sniper. Takes off running. Brett, I'm telling you, I saw this. No one can believe it. He shot the gun four times as he ran as hard as he could down the field. Shot the, he shot four pellets, four face Filled masks. Four players fall to the ground. He shoots them all in the face. Runs, captures the flag. People are going crazy. They, uh, the referees immediately come and check his body. He's got a blue uniform on, blue top to bottom, blue. They, they were trying to shoot him. They never got him. Six seven, over two seven. He just decided, screw it, I'm going. And it was the most incredible athletic thing. It was like the Matrix. I witnessed the Matrix in real life. 
college paintball national championship. I think it was 2005. Greatest thing I ever saw. <laughs> now, when you get that gig, are you going into it going, all right, what, what is this going to be? How am I, how am I going to spin? How am I going to make it interesting? But then the way you explain it right there, it seems like once you were in the moment, you kind of, I don't know. I, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes again. I'm going, you're going into this thing like, what is this? But by the end, you were probably kind of amazed of this, of this big guy and what he did. And now all of a sudden it's a serious, it's a serious broadcast. Hey, it was an amazing moment. If you give me a microphone to do anything, I'm excited to broadcast. I'm excited to add something. Right, to I'll make this. I'll make this serious. I got. Yes, it. yes, yeah. and it led to me doing the World Series of video games. It led me to uh, going to Europe and hosting the Tour de France, which was incredible in my life. Uh, I've done so many obscure things, um, especially working in the college sports landscape. But that was the most unique. And fun. And I tell young people all the time, if someone's going to give you any kind of money to put a microphone on, make sure you enjoy that. Don't look at it and go, oh, man, what am I covering? Time out. Do you honestly think you're going to graduate college and go host the Super Bowl? Is that what you really think? These are the events you got to fall in love with. And the people that fall in love with them are inherently going to be good at them. And you're going to skyrocket to eventually doing primetime big stuff. But you have to start somewhere. It's like going to A-ball, going, I can't believe I'm playing at A-ball. So you hit 150. Okay, do you really think you're going to move to the big leagues hitting 150? No. When you get to A-ball, thank your lucky stars that you're in A-ball and rake, have fun, make fun of it, have a great time there. And guess what? You'll be in double-A before you know it. <laughs> you're right. It works. I, I hear all this talk now. You, you hear about the, the minor leaguers aren't getting a fair shake and this and that. Now, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little bit older, so I, I went through that. But I look at it, I'm thinking, well, what do minor leaguers add to the bottom line? Not much. It's kind of an opportunity. I remember my time, and I'm glad they're doing what they're doing for the minor leaguers now. You know, A-ball, they're making $2,000. They don't have to pay for their their housing. The facilities, as you know, have just come full circle from back you know, in the nineties, let alone the eighties. I mean, we had a, you know, our equipment was on a, in a, in a bag on a, on a nail, like, like Rocky Balboa. But <laughs> I'll tell you, those are great experiences. Those are a ball sleeping on the couch, rubbing nickels together, paying a hundred and a quarter for rent, finding out where the best buffet was, where we could get the best deal that the team was kind of sponsoring and raking and getting the hell out of A-ball and getting to double-A where it's a little bit better. You know, I, I, I've i actually got a twin bed here. And, and rent's a little more expensive, but I'm making a little more money. And if I rake here, guess what? I'm going to be in triple-A. And in triple-A, we actually get on planes and fly to the next game. And now I'm really close to, to the big leagues. And But I think that all is so important in life. Uh, it's like the 16-year-old that, that, that gets that Mercedes. It's like, where are you going to go from there, buddy? You know, I want you to I want you to work and I want you to 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 wash cars and detail cars to give me some money so we can go buy a car. So one day you can get that Mercedes when you work really hard. I don't know. That's just how I was brought up. And and I remember I used to get teased because I had to buy my first car. And my dad's currently in the big leagues playing for the Angels. And my buddies are like, oh, your dad's a big leaguer. and You don't have a car. I'm like, well, he's not giving me one. <laughs> I look back years, you know, now I look back. I'm on, those are cool lessons. I was pissed at my dad. I wanted a Porsche. I wanted a Blaupunk. 
You know, I wanted a quad like Bull Durham says, but I don't know. I, I think it, you heard it. You you said it right. Go rake in a ball. Yeah, it's the only way you yes. get the hell out of a ball. What are you going to do? Piss and moan in a ball? Well, then you're going to go to low a ball. How about that? You're going to get <laughs> right. a lot of skilled players, but you got uh, they don't even know how to play the game yet. And you're going backwards. So and I don't know. I, I have mind, a different right? take on that. Yeah, let's also keep in mind that even if you rake, but you're you're bitching and moaning like behind the scenes, nobody that, wants to hear it. That stays with you, though. That's being told to the coach double A. That's being told to the front office. Like, hey, the kid, the kid can hit. He's got talent. He's a pain in the ass to be around. He, he's complaining all the time. That stuff follows you around. Sure. And, and we always wonder why did this young guy get traded for the third time? Man, he's been one of the top 100 prospects for the last four years. He's already been traded three times. There's usually a reason why. There's usually a reason why. I try to tell young broadcasters that want to make it, hey, the climb can be tough. But if you don't love it, if you don't love the climb, and if you're not fun to work with, it's going to hold you back. You will not climb as high as you want to. Your talent is a big part of it. But the way you conduct yourself with other talented people is equally as important. And if you can't do that, you will not climb to the level that you always dreamt you could reach. So make sure you treat people like gold and you keep your complaining to your mom on the phone in your apartment by yourself. But don't do that every day when you're working. Enjoy the climb. It's actually fun when you look back. I agree with that. 2009. MLB Network uh, launches. Tell me how they got you involved. How'd you get involved with the network? And uh, what what did they tell you the network was going to be? This was a big this was a big thing. No one had ever done this before. 24-7 baseball. You know, the NFL Network was out there. Fox, ESPN, big time, already established programming. And all of a sudden, MLB is going to come in. We're going to do this 24-7. Yeah, it's never been done before, but it's going to be a hit. Tell me about that whole lead up to that, to that launch. So I was at College Sports Television at the age of 24. I was there for five and a half years, uh, three years into that time. Uh, it was based in New York City. CBS Sports bought it. They renamed it the CBS College Sports Network. Now it's CBS Sports Network. The guy that did that was the executive producer of CBS Sports, Tony Petiti. After five and a half years of me working there, Tony Petiti left CBS to be the CEO of MLB Network. First ever. It's this new network's going to be launched. And I get a phone call. And he's like, hey, you want to go? You want to go with me? So I was like, wow, yeah. My contract was up. Uh, They gave me a package to stay, but I looked at this as a unique opportunity. He told me, Greg, I've been watching you uh, during the NCAA tournament. I would host seven straight hours of NCAA tournament coverage on the college sports network. And I would they bring in two coaches that just got bounced from the tournament. So their seasons are over and they would be my analysts. And I would do live look-ins of Hofstra against North Carolina, Elon against UMass. So I'm flying to first round matchups doing you know, live look-ins, ad-lib TV. I don't write anything, Booney. So I'm an ad-libber all the time. And he knew the programming of MLB Network. He knew what his vision was. He wanted to recreate NCAA March Madness for baseball. Every night we would do live look-ins of the best moments of every game. So he saw me doing this on the college sports network. And he was like, this kid likes to to be on TV for a while. He can do it. And he doesn't need a teleprompter. And I just found out he's from St. Louis and he he was obsessed with the Cardinals and baseball growing up. 
So he brought me with him and I was the only broadcaster that was not affiliated with a major league team, which meant I wasn't a play-by-play guy of a team. I wasn't a sideline reporter or a pregame host of a major league baseball team or a former player or a former GM. So when the network launched, all these producers at MLB Network that I was forced upon, they weren't putting me on the air. We were doing all these tape programming, right? And it was, we, we launched January once, was in the off season. I wasn't on the air for the first three weeks. I was the only broadcaster that wasn't put on TV yet. And no one knew why Tony Petiti hired this young dude to be on a host for MLB Network. No one got it. And I just remember saying to uh, the executive producer at the time, John Entz, listen, man, I, I'm not upset with not hosting right now. I, I'm not upset. You guys are paying me, whatever. What I know is eventually you're going to be doing live television. And when you do live television, you either sink or you swim. And I'm Michael Phelps. So I'll wait until the <laughs> day. And when it's live TV, baby, you will appreciate what Greg Amsinger can do. So I just, I was just sitting there just in the garage waiting to just go 180 miles an hour when opening day came. And that's inevitably what happened. What's the, uh, what happened at Walt Disney World? Didn't they, didn't they have something where you had to go basically on stage in front of a, a zillion executives and, and do like a, a mock mini? Hey, show us what it's going to be like. Was, is there any truth to that? Uh, you mean for MLB Network? Like when yeah. we did auditions? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we did auditions at NBA TV, the old NBA TV studio that was also in Secaucus. So I showed up, even though Tony wanted me, all these other producers and coordinating producers at the network were like, who is this kid? No one's ever been here of me. So I show up and I did uh, an audition with Harold Reynolds and um, Cromartie. Remember Cromartie? What's his first name? Warren Cromartie. Warren Cromartie. Yes. That's why I'm so here, he- Greg. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy in so, your ear right now. <laughs> that's right. You're my researcher. And, and I didn't um, screw it up. No, you didn't at all. So Warren Cromartie's on. He's auditioning for a job. Harold's obviously got the job. He's the face of the network and he's auditioning everybody. So I did an audition and it's funny because I show up and I meet with the producer that's going to produce the audition. They go, here, you you, you sit right here. You're going to have a couple uh, on-camera lead-ins. So if you want to write something, you can. And uh, here are the bumps. I can see the whole rundown of the show. So I sit down and if they want me to write something, I start writing, right? On camera lead in. They want it to be like 40 seconds long, make it creative. So I just start writing it because that's, that's what they want. And then all of a sudden two producers sit down and they're like asking me about my family. And then the second I saw that happen, I was like, I pulled myself away from the desk and I just put my legs up and I started chatting with them. Like, Hey guys, yeah, this is why I am blah, 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 blah. I go, Hey, you know, your auditions in about two minutes. So you, do you need to get right? I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Like, you're sure? I'm like, yeah. I, I knew what they were doing. They're messing with people while they're writing. They want to see if they're going to go, can you give me a minute? I need to finish this. You know, right. they want to see if that's how you're going to react. So I go out there with nothing scripted. I have a lot of fun. I know they're going to play a, 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 a highlight and then the highlight's going to go to black. On camera, on camera, they do these things intentionally while you're doing an audition, right? So I had something funny to say every time they did it. And I just had fun. And I remember Harold getting up and I was walking out the set and the boss, Tony Petiti walks in with the other producer, Tony's so happy. I killed it. And, uh, I, I turned over my shoulder. I see Harold pointing at me, like shaking his head, like, yes, yes, we have to hire this guy. And they gave me a tour and there, it, the rest is history. I've been there for 14 years and my, I've obviously evolved over the years where 
frankly, I do every big show on the network and it's a dream job. I love it. And it could not have gone any better these last 14 years. Seems like this is this is like built for you. I mean, I just hear the way you explain it and the passion you have, which in any profession, pick a profession. You're not passionate. You might as you're wasting your time unless you're unbelievably over the top, more talented than the next guy. I found that in sports. It's like the rest of us normal people here on Earth that aren't Barry Bonds, that aren't Mike Trout. We better be passionate about we do what we do or these these guys that are will run right over you. I mean, you have that from from the get go from this morning. We started. It's like. Man, you're ready to go and give it to me and bring it. And let's and it's awesome. It's got to be the way you are or or you wouldn't be in the position you are. You wouldn't be the face. And every time I turn it on, I see you. But uh, it, it's cool to hear this side of it. Give me a day. Give me a day in your life. Typical day. You wake up, get your coffee, give the wife a kiss. Now you're off to the just give me a quick rundown. I love waking up in the morning. Uh, I'll just give you a summer day. My, my daughter, she's already in college, entering her sophomore year. She plays basketball at Colorado College. So she's studying abroad in Italy right now. So she's having the greatest life ever. So uh, I wake up. My wife and I, Erica, we've been married for 20 years. Um, my son's 12. His name's London. We go to Starbucks. We get a coffee. We'll go to a different place in Montclair, New Jersey. But we have a nice little morning together. And then we usually are outside. We'll swim in the pool. We'll go play golf. My son is a dynamite junior golfer wants to play college golf. He plays in the junior New Jersey PGA tour. So he has tournaments every week. Uh, my wife and I go to see that as much as we can, but we usually, if isn't, if the weather's nice, we're playing golf. And then I come home, I have a quick bite to eat, shower up, get ready. And my production call is at around seven o'clock. Uh, I, I have a bunch of ideas that I have in my phone throughout the day for segment ideas. I share those on the phone with my producer, my coordinating producer, the analyst of that show will be on as well. And then I head into work, uh, I grab another coffee. I get in there and I'm live at 10 PM and I do a three hour show to one o'clock in the morning. I come home. I have a sports bar in my, in my basement. That's legit sick. It's unbelievable. I usually go down there. Everyone's asleep. I make myself a little scotch on the rocks and boom, what a great day. I go to bed, try to wake up around 8 o'clock in the morning and recreate it every single day. It's, it's a wonderful way to live. People feel bad for me that I work 10 to 1 in the morning <laughs> in the summer. But my goodness, I get to be outside all day. I have a great life. Don't feel sorry for me. We, we touched on it earlier. You're talking about uh, you are the point guard. And, and depending on who your guest is on that particular day, whatever, whatever show it may be, you're kicking it to them. You know the game. I've watched you. And, and yeah, you're the professional TV host, but you know the game. So do you ever find it? Oh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Do you ever find it tough, depending on who, who you have in the room, not to over overstep and let them tell their story when you're sitting there going, no, I want to say this. I want to say it. no, but this is, do, do you ever sit there and go, I got to stay in my lane here, keep him in his lane because you are, you're the quarterback. Do you ever feel like, man, I, I, I want to, I want to expand on that, but no, that's not my spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are moments where if I'm on with a certain analyst and he, I came at him maybe twice in the past hour and this person says anything that I disagree with or I, it doesn't make sense to me, I, 
it, now I, that relationships, you can, you can only come at your friends, man. You can't come at somebody that isn't comfortable with you. So I need to make sure we're still friends. <laughs> you right, know what I'm right, saying? Right, so, right. so I will swallow that comment because the show isn't about Greg being right. The show isn't about Greg's opinion. The show is about the, making the best baseball show. And it's got to feel good to the viewer. And I say this all the time. However, whatever facial expressions the analysts have when they look at me on TV, those are the facial expressions of the viewers at home. So if they're smiling at me and they're laughing at me, that's the way viewers are looking at me right now. But if they're looking at me with a scowl on their face, if they're looking at me like they're bored, if they're looking at me like, oh, here he goes again, chances are that's how viewers are looking at me. So I always try. The human element is gigantic in television. And if you don't think it is, well, you're probably not that good at your job. Had Jeremy Roenick on, he, he did you know a lot of hockey for years. He said his job, I asked him this. Yeah, I want to know if you agree. He said his job was to educate and entertain. Is that it mm. or is there more to it? See, the educate part, I think that has its own place. And the way I look at it is this. People go to work and they grind. They have real jobs. My dad was a welder and he loved sports. I always think of my dad. Had burn holes in his arms, sweat buckets every day in an unair conditioned factory. When he comes home and sits on the couch grabs a cold beer and turns on MLB tonight. The last thing he wants to see is three guys working their asses off. That's not what he wants to watch. He wants to watch three guys that are dialed. He loves baseball. So he knows if you know your stuff or not, he needs, he needs to know, you know, your stuff, but he, he, I think it starts with chemistry, fun, energy, the education part comes within grabbing their attention. Once I have their attention, once they're smiling at the TV, once I bring them in, then different nuggets or techniques or uh, bits of analysis throughout this cloud of entertainment that they got lost in, that, is, that comes with the territory. So I would, I would say educate. I would say educate goes after entertain entertain and educate it's that order for me make sure you bring them in and make sure it doesn't feel like work make sure i say this to broadcasters all the time if you took the graphics and the video away from the studio and the screen and here you are in a suit if i'm just looking at your face would i be able to tell if you're talking about sports or maybe the economy or maybe world affairs would i be able to tell what you're talking about so hopefully when you watch me without all the graphics, all the bells and whistles, you can tell I'm talking about sports. Might, might not be able to tell it's baseball because I'm six, five. Maybe you think I'm, I'm talking about basketball, but I'm talking about something that's entertaining. At the end of the day, you can tell I'm entertaining you. That is what I think is the most important. Well, and you can tell just by this, you know, this hour we've spent so far, it's, it's this is something you genuinely love. I can tell that by talking to Greg Amsinger. You know, I, we're over here. We don't see each other right now, but I, I hear it. I hear it in your voice. You love this. You got to love this to do as much as you do. Or, or I, I, could you imagine if you didn't love getting up and going to work every day and being that guy and 
it, it would come through. It'd be disingenuous, but it's not. It is. You've got to love your job. And that that comes across. Do, do you see it? I don't know. Do you see it in other other hosts like, well, this guy, he doesn't love his job or, or it'd come across different. I mean, the span of a career, it, it varies, obviously, with the Bob Costas. He's been doing it for 100 years, it seems like. But some guys, it, it gets to an end. I know in baseball at the very end, man, I, this is what I love. I woke up. I lived for Greg as a kid from the from the age of one and two years old, throwing that ball against the garage door. But the last year I was playing, the last spring training I was in, I was watching young players, 20, 21 year old power shagging in the outfield. And I couldn't get weight to get off the field because I was so sick of the same drills I've been doing my whole life. And that's <laughs> when I kind of knew, you know, it, it's, it's time for me to go because I want to be that kid running around. That's how I have to be to be successful at what I do. I got to be that kid in the outfield power shagging and taking, <laughs> you know, taking, taking fly balls away from the pitchers who are shagging. But that's cool. Cause I remember being that guy. It's that's yeah, a great point, man. If, if, if your tail doesn't wag to do this every day, let someone else do it. And you're right. There are some guys that are holding on to the money. They're holding right, on to right. the salaries and they don't have the wag in their tail anymore. They just don't. You can see it all over the face. I always said when you watch Greg Amsinger sit on MLB tonight and host that show, that's a bucket list opportunity for a lot of baseball fans to sit next to Harold Reynolds and Pedro Martinez for three hours and talk baseball. That, that is legitimately a bucket list moment. So I want people at home to see that I do not take my seat for granted. I am loving that opportunity. I represent fans. I don't count myself as a journalist. I'm not Ken Rosenthal. I'm a fan that they gave a microphone to because I understand the logistics of television. I know all of the different ways to make that work. So, uh, but I'm just a fan. I am a huge fan of the game. And, you know, when I hear from people like you, people like Larry Boa, who is my baseball father, okay, I, I adore this man. And if you don't know who Larry Boa is, Google him. One of the grittiest, <laughs> fiercest baseball lifers in the history of baseball. It's all he does. It's all he watches. It's all he talks about is baseball. He loves it more than anyone I've ever met. And Booney, you probably would agree with that. He is that intense. When he texts me every single day and every show, and he, he tells me all the time, my God, you love this stuff. When Larry Boa tells me that, I know that I'm in the right spot, that I know this is a perfect fit for me because there is no one that has committed their life as intensely to the game than Larry Boa. He's amazing. He's, a, he's unbelievable. And I had him on probably two or three months ago. And, you know, I grew up with Larry. Larry and dad were, were teammates in, in the 70s with the Phillies. And I always took it for granted. Like, oh, that's just Larry, you know. And, yeah. and I know him as a kid. But then as I, as I grew, I played against Larry. Larry, you know, he was a manager for the Phillies. He was coaches on several teams I played against. We always had that uh, that little bit of a rivalry. I'd always give him a hard time when I was in town. But I have that, you know, I'm this three, four, five-year-old kid running around. That's how I knew Larry. Now, all of a sudden, I'm interacting as an adult. But you're right. He's one of those baseball lifers. And when I had him on the show, I, I was kind of reflecting, you know, when I was doing my homework on Larry, I didn't have to do that much homework because I had all the behind-the-scenes stories. But 
I was reflecting. I'm like, Larry's been everywhere and pretty much has done anything in the game. There's a couple guys that come to mind. You mentioned Larry Boa. He's definitely one of them as far as those baseball lifers that pretty much been everywhere, done everything, knows everybody, is is intertwined with people in the game as much as anybody. Another guy is Tim Foley. Similar. He's just mm-hmm. a baseball rat. He knows the ins and outs. He, he He's a great worker. He's passionate. He loves this game more than life itself. But yeah, those are those guys. And it's, it's cool that he, he, he's paying attention because Larry, until the day he dies, it's going to be baseball, baseball, baseball. He loves it that much. And the fact that you have that interaction with him and he tells you how much he, he appreciates it. And you know, that that's, that's probably really a cool thing. Uh, getting outside the studio, uh, do you like that part about your job? Because you get to go to these stadiums. You get to go to the Jewel events, all-star games, postseason. Is there something you like more? Uh, I mean, because I'm sure you enjoy that studio time. But is it fun for you to go on location? Like right now, uh, you're, head, you're headed to the Hall of Fame. That's a pretty yeah. awesome place. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I don't take it for granted. Uh, for years, they just moved the ceremony on Saturday for the Frick Award and for the Spink Award uh, for the writer and the uh, broadcaster that gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, they moved that indoors. But before, it was at Double Day Field on Saturday, and I got to be the MC uh, to the thousands of people that are there at Double Day Field witnessing the ceremony. And one of the biggest moments of my career was emceeing the ceremony, I get to introduce all the living Hall of Famers that are in attendance, which is such an honor. I don't take that lightly. And I got to introduce Bob Costas as he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So here's my mentor, a guy that I was a 19-year-old snot-nosed producer at KMOX Radio for. And now at, at the age of 40, I was up at a podium in Cooperstown introducing Bob Costas for his induction speech into the broadcaster's wing of the hall of fame. I mean, pinch me. This is like dream stuff. You, you couldn't have told a young Greg Amsinger that I would have been part of that moment for the greatest sportscaster ever growing up. Like, I, there's no way you could have ever told me that that was going to be the case. Cooperstown is close to my heart. I love it so much from a television semantic standpoint. I love the sense of urgency that comes with the uh, winter meetings when we go on location and we got guys signing, we got major deals, we got trades, we got all kinds of stuff going on, speculation. I love the winter meetings. That's a lot of fun. Those shows are chaotic. We're going to all of our insiders all the time. It's a hard show to host, which is what I like. If it's hard, I like it. Uh, the draft is a gigantic undertaking with a huge staff of people to get as much information to me about all of the top 250 amateur players in college and, and in high school. And, and another really difficult show to host because you got people screaming in my ear, the commissioner's eight seconds away. But Phil, 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 Phil. When I'm filling and he's not ready to walk out to the podium, I can't hand it over to Harold. I can't hand it over to Dan O'Dowd. I got to keep it because at any moment he's going to walk back to the podium. We can't miss the pick. So it, it is a lot. It is a lot, but I love the challenge of it. Um, spring training. Oh my goodness. I get to go to Arizona every year, uh, which is I've handpicked Arizona over Florida for obvious reasons. You get to stay in one hotel. The golf is insanely great. I you're not traveling all over the state. Uh, I get to go with great product producers and I, they usually pair me with a guy that likes to play golf. Cause I'm obsessed with golf. So <laughs> we were done uh, taping the show. We're on a golf course and then we're playing as much 
golf uh, until the sun goes down. It's a great life, man. And I enjoy all different nuances of it. World Series, uh, we've had some cold ones. We've had some remarkable moments. I got to cover the World Series in 2011 in my hometown of St. Louis. And to witness that, I'll never forget it. Uh, I get to show off my legs at an event like the red carpet show, which <laughs> I'm still getting heat <laughs> for because I love to like, you know, bring it on the fashion sense. Cause I, I, I do think I have good taste in clothing. So I brought it on the red carpet. The players ripped me. Some st- said it was an awesome look. Either way, I moved the needle. I love the challenge of all the different shows. Uh, it's all an amazing thing we've done at MLB network to put something this special together for fans. And, and we really do. I, I'm very proud of the, the, the programming that we offer people that love this game. In today's in today's, uh, Society, 2022, a lot of, lot of different venues, a lot of different options. I mean, everything's at the tip of your finger. MLB Network shines, though, and still the players, where do they go? They go to MLB Network. Uh, it's been a huge success. What's the one thing you think makes MLB Network so special? It's the chemistry. It's the voice. It could have gone every, any different direction. It could have been stiff, uh, folksy. Traditional Harold Reynolds created the voice of MLB network without Harold Reynolds. The success of this network is nowhere close to what it is today. I get a lot of love and I am grateful for it, but I wasn't the host I am today without Harold Reynolds. Harold is the most talented person I've ever worked with on television by far. He is an incredible talent. He always has been. He always will be. He is a rock star in this game. And I can't wait to go to Cooperstown and someday be part of that induction ceremony when he gets in to the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. Because when that happens, that will be one of the great moments, not just of his life, obviously, but as his, one of his best friends, it'll be one of the great moments of my life as well. Very cool. Uh, Greg Amsinger, what, what an awesome, this is, this is a lot of, uh, you know, I go to, I go into each interview and sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm this and that, and you know how it is. You do, you do a lot of shows and you come away. Sometimes you're a different, uh, this was really cool. A lot of fun getting to hear. And, and, and I think the audience hears the passion that you have and the love you have for what you do. I think that's why you're fun to watch and, and, uh, you know, people tune in, man. This was this was really cool behind the scenes. If you're out there listening to the Boone podcast, tune in. Greg is really good, and MLB Network is where it's at. And as we do each and every Boone podcast, at the end of the podcast, we kick it back to the voice of the podcast, and that's Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.